Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also, Mike, is here as we are ready to review and discuss the 28th Critics' Choice Award, laying the rest of the groundwork coming to the Oscars' end date as it rapidly approaches here. Uh, I thought this was a good show, Mike. You went and watched it about 18 more times than I did. Uh, What did you think upon your 18th viewing? (laughs) I I watched it three times. Well, two and a half, because I watched it a half times last night because we were going back to our vice and our and our families. We watched, for... the, we watched the Giants. Yeah, I mean, we let's, did. You know, and we're Giants very the playoffs happy. once every every Haley's Comet. So that's we're right. Good. And we we have a have a really fun night last night. And I, I tune into to a lot of the Critics Choice Awards and I watch it. We got a holiday today, and I'm I'm rewatching it this morning. But for some bizarre reason, I've messed with the format on our usual <laughs> award show. To the point where it took me like five hours to wrangle this episode together, yeah. and it's still a mess, and I've driven you crazy. Mm-hmm. So I just want the uh, I want the listeners to understand that if you go off of this episode, <laughs> uh, that's why. That's why. Don't it's, it's review not your a star wise based on what we say in this episode is what you're saying. <laughs> I can't believe we did this. I can't. Like I've never been more flustered. Trying don't to put together rat a me into what you did here. <laughs> I don't know why I did this. I don't I know no why. Part of this. But I tried to. I tried to structure it like the Golden Globe stock. That's why. That's why. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I tried because the season's getting off to a really good start. Our yep. Golden Globe show was great. Everybody's listened to it. I'm really thrilled. And then for whatever reason, I tried to segment it in the same way. And we are going to segment it the same way. And yet, we probably could have just gone with the chronological format. And it would have been it would we would have gotten done recording this four hours ago. <laughs> well, we're here now, and much like a James Cameron movie, we're still here now, still on film, still recording. Uh, but let's talk about the Critics' Choice Awards. Uh, they were <laughs> arguably. I, how do you view the Critics' Choice? I feel like I ask you that question every year, and it's just because you're not saying the words I want you to say, which is that. The, the critics are the critics choice awards are just the gatekeeper awards and the you, awards themselves maybe have the le- least amount of meaning. You are stuck on a few categories and I think you and Ann Thompson, so you're in good company, are stuck <laughs> on a few categories that are rather predictive, like production design. And yeah. I agree with you. Production design at the Critics' Choice Awards, I believe, is fairly predictive. We've done yeah, that staff I think before. it's done every year but one. They've had the eventual Oscar winner. But I did do out the stats over the last three years, and I probably should do this out you know, for every year of this show because it's only been do- going for 27 years before this. This is the 28th Critics' Choice. But it, they were 13 of 18 last year, 11 of 18, and then 12 of 18. I, I forget if I got that mixed up. I'll cite it later. They, they're they not that predictive. They're basically yeah. as predictive as every other freaking show, Michael. So they're, so why I would take five hours getting this Google document together, I don't know. So this you're, I'm not going to... deep dive into the no, psyche yeah, of this also is, Mike this episode. This is just me saying, why did I document the Google <laughs> And then so when long? I was nine, I can remember. <laughs> but no, I can't give you what you want. I can't. I want to give you what well, you, do you want. I mean, you to me, it. the Critics' Choice Awards are, you know, mm-hmm. the critics are the ones who gatekeep allowing a movie or a performance or a whatever to get to Oscars level. 
I think they have tabbed a lot of sweepers. And the critics, when they okay. put forth a lot of these sweepers, especially in the two supporting categories that we'll talk about, because I got those stats ready, when they put forth a sweeper and it goes all the way, you tend to believe, because it's one of the first shows of the season, that yes, they are this gatekeeper, which they function as in the awards system, uh, or in the awards season ecosystem. Mm. And it makes sense that that we feel like, well, hey, you know, the, the Critics Awards scoreboard plays out to this degree, and they did. It played out pretty tight. I got that stat later on, too, in the Black Panther section. Yeah, we, we're going to have uh, Critics Awards go all the way. And yeah. when that happens 75% of the time, it works every time works in our brains, time. right? Yeah, of course. So they're uh, the I, Sex Panther of award shows, right here. <laughs> I, did, I did watch this on-tape delay, and part of the reason I, I recorded and remembered to record it is because I wanted to catch the infamous Tay Digg joking monologue, which has been uh, infamously <laughs> heralded by MMO yeah. over the years. He was not the host this year. Chelsea Handler was, except she was, like, barely there. They flashed to her at the beginning for her monologue. She had some decent jokes. It wasn't bad, you know. I'm happy to be here supporting the critics' right to choose where someone still has a choice. Unless they're a female critic, then it depends on which state they live in. That yeah, that made me laugh. Made a joke about Viola Davis being one of Nick Cannon's illegit. Like, she had some decent jokes, mm-hmm. but they didn't flash back to her until an hour and a half into this award show, and then it was one other time before she was the uh, final presenter of the night. She ended up giving Best Picture. And she was bragging about how the show, you know, ended on time. <laughs> I yes. guess it ended on time because yes. they didn't show the host at all. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was some curious ways in which they tried to save time throughout this award show, the biggest change of which they announced two awards at once multiple times throughout the evening. And it was always a guy getting up there fast with his tux. And then I look, they got to do something about these dresses. They got to have a zipper, a flat, like a warm ups, <laughs> like in basketball, because these poor women take yeah. an hour to get on stage and they have to tippy toe and it yeah. takes forever. And you always think they're going to fall. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, some of them, some of them, like Henry Wrinkler was a gentleman. He gentleman. went back and, and helped. You know, it was nice to see that. The the seating arrangement. Look, I like this show. I thought this was like maybe the best Critics Choice Award TV Ever. show we've had I agree. I agree. since MMO started. But there was some curious, like they were seating winners mm-hmm. <laughs> in the kitchen. It seemed, which wasn't <laughs> serving food apparently. If you listen to some of the winners, right. but like they, it took people. Like no wonder they they were doing it and adhering to a strict thirty second time limit for the victory speeches because it took these guys like a minute and fifteen seconds just to get to the stage. Not even talking about the women with these impossible dresses that you just alluded to. Like they had people seated in the bowery of the freaking hotel they were in and yet we did feel like it was a tight enough room where you heard some pops and those tandem presentations and acceptance speeches i i mean you wrote out i didn't hate them you loved them right I, re- I mean, I, I may be completely alone in this. Quinta Brunson obviously didn't like them. Seth Rogen went on a whole diatribe against them, which was hilarious because it was like an hour and a half after the fact. But <laughs> I, I like you get kind of cool. Like Giancarlo Esposito and Jennifer Coolidge was like they're two winners and they're sharing the stage at the same time, both winning. And then you get this double feature of this Giancarlo Esposito fiery speech talking about bringing out the best of us. Mm-hmm. And then Jennifer Coolidge who has been the only person that I think can rival what Kiwi Kwan's done speech for speech this time. Jennifer Coolidge takes the mic and talks about how it's not over till it's over and it's not over till you're dead. And she thought her career was over. And, <laughs> yeah. Like she's been giving great speech after great speech and comedic. Like I, I, I understand you want to give every person their own moment, mm-hmm. 
But if you're not the Oscars, I don't mind trying this differently and in a way to kind of be more efficient and save time. And you're still giving everyone their time to speak and give their victory. Spe- I, I don't I don't know. I, I'm sure I'm in the minority, but I didn't hate it. It's better than like the alternative of the golden hour shower, whatever the hell. That, sure. Uh, absolutely. All the absolutely. pundits were talking about where literally a half dozen or, or five film awards were announced in a clump, whether it was coming in or out of a commercial break. And that was kind of a bummer that we would see that, even though it was like a you know a rush of adrenaline for you mm-hmm. and me because we're like looking at all these tight races playing out before our eyes and just a flash on the screen. Yeah, and tight races is kind of the theme of, I think, co- coming out of the movie awards side of the Critics' Choice Awards is that they, like the Golden Globes, do celebrate movie and TV, but... We got some some races now in the Oscars. I mean, it's it's down to two or three people, but there are some categories and some major ones that are still wide open between those two or three. All right, let's talk about some of the highlights of the night. Yeah, I'm thrilled. Uh, I'm thrilled that we got these races coming, and and I was I was happy with some of these highlights and tributes. Kate Hudson came out to present the See Her Award to Janelle Monae, Mike, and that was a that was a rousing speech. What a dress, Jesus! Oh my God, I can't. I'm sorry, I have to say it. What a dress from Janelle Monae. I, yeah. uh, I, I didn't know. I mean, I was, there were some, there were yeah. some dresses that like mm-hmm. the, these people looked like completely naked. Yeah, like, no, that, that's why. That's too. why. I mean, look at I'm, right. I'm a red-blooded man. I, I just I am what I am. And well, oh, my I God, mean, Janelle Monae. <laughs> I mean, yeah, these, I mean, if, <laughs> you know. Look, if I looked if I looked like them, if I looked like Pedro Pascal in The Last of Us, like I would <laughs> I would walk around naked, too. So why not? Sure. I, great. Good for you guys. Good for them <laughs> all right we but so that was that was a really nice moment where she, I mean, she talked about it that that it does of course her identity influences the roles she takes of course it influences you know her career trajectory and, and it's purposeful and the progressiveness of that speech was was refreshing i thought it was and, a liberal's wet dream that entire yeah, I, mean, I, I am just, non-binary i am queer and my identity influences my decisions in my work I don't want a soapbox, but like, yeah, I don't understand how you can meet someone like this and be like, oh, they're lying. They're not telling the truth. They're wrong. Of course, when you look at the passion and the fire with which Janelle Monae is speaking, of course you would think that their identity influences what roles they want to take and pursue and highlight and put on a pedestal and show for people who may be lost or may not have the familial support in their own lives who want to chase these dreams like the biggest no duh, but it's still so vital that this type of thing happens. And good for Janelle Monet. I didn't realize Janelle Monet has been as in our lives in the film world as entrenched as she has been. I still kind of think of her as like a musician and having most of her accolades from behind the mic. No, no, no. She is like a full-fledged actress now. Well, she's extremely famous in that regard too, in her music career. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, she's... You watch a montage like that, and you're like, yeah, you're right. She's been a supporting actress in all, in all these big movies, and... uh She's going to have snub powers that carry through the rest of this decade, potentially, for Glass Onion if she mm-hmm. does not get nominated at the end of the day. But uh, we'll move on to the other tribute that went to Jeff Bridges uh, from John Goodman, which was very fitting. And I loved all the, the Lebowski jokes. And the, yeah. it's just cool for us. And I agree with all the sentiments there. College kids have watched it in their dorm rooms however many times. Because it's Thousands funny times, as hell. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, that that makes sense. I forget that Lloyd Bridges is the father of Jeff and and Bo. So when Jeff's up there talking about his father and how his father was the one who implored him to stay with acting and get into acting because acting will allow him to pursue all the other passions that he has, such as, you know, painting or music or whatever else, uh, you you know, that's coming from the the mouth of Lloyd Bridges, who is one of 
he's an established actor and a legend, obviously, but one of the funniest people on film and on TV that you will ever see, any Lloyd Bridges performance. But it, this was a much more typical Lifetime Achievement Award acceptance. Janelle Monet was more, you know, fiery and advocating in her stance and political, which was beautiful to see. And then you had Jeff Bridges, which was the much more historically typical, gracious, understated, you know, thanking all the family that he has, both in his personal life and his professional life, uh, thanking his wife, Sue, of 48 years. It was very sweet, very touching. Were you kind of half expecting an Eddie Murphy finish to it? Or cause I, <laughs> I was almost wondering, maybe he'll just die, die, he won't. No, but no, it, I, no, I mean, it would have been funny if he did, but no, I wasn't expecting it. Anyway, uh, two good tributes. And, and look, the montages alone are worth those career tributes at, at the last two shows. Golden Globes did a phenomenal job, and the Critics' Choice did a great job with that montage. The too. Critics' Choice has killed, they killed not only the montages this year, their playoff music. Only added to certain speed. It's like the perfect playoff music that I've heard any award show have this year or any year because it made like moments out of these speeches that themselves would have been moments anyway. But it was like this rousing, (laughs) inspirational, hopeful music that just added to the messages of some of these speeches that we'll get to that like really turned them into, oh my God, moments. They almost uh, are counterproductive because you're you're wanting them to get off the stage (laughs) and yet you got to be getting hyped up if you're delivering your your speech to that. I mean, they should put that music in movies. I mean, right. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's, let's go through the winners. I kind of organized it by tally because I'm a lunatic. I'm curious to see what you did here. (laughs) I don't know. This is not going to work. This is going to be hilariously ridiculous, but everything everywhere all at once. Let's talk about their five wins first, because I do think it's notable that everything everywhere all at once took such a strong night uh and will take this strong night into the rest of award season well let's begin with supporting actor as kihui kwan does uh predictably win supporting uh actor from aubrey plaza there presenting and he was like rocking a velour suit or a velvet suit. He was looking all kinds of decked out there. Uh Kiwi Kwan accepts the award, says he's so nervous because this is so unexpected. I don't know. At this point, is it really that unexpected? He's I mean, not reading his Vegas odds, because those are minus <laughs> seventy four billion. Yeah. And nobody yeah. got that joke, by the way, on Twitter. I thought that was a good joke. I had all the zeros. Nobody I got it. See, I didn't see it, but zero I likes. It. Zero. Yeah. So well, you should you I'm, should like our own tweet. I, I'll make, do that for please you. Please do that. For me. I was too busy losing my own money. Actually, I had had a decent weekend, so I was making money this weekend, uh, betting against the odds. Go Jaguars! But anyway, <laughs> uh, I was bracing for a very different reaction to this film, but because of your generosity talking to the critics, I was welcomed back with so much positivity. You've not only helped audiences find our little movie, but you've hel- also helped audiences to remember who I am, and for that, I am so so grateful to you. Something Kiway Kwan's done. Uh, with his speeches thus far, too, I've noticed, is he's really addressed the voting bodies yes. and talking about their impact on the success of Everything Everywhere All at Once. It, it's only going to make these voting bodies want to see him talk more, but I don't think it matters at this point anyway. He's addressed each room thus far, and he's made them each feel warm and fuzzy. I right. think people were thrilled. I, nobody's playing the season better than Mr. Kwan mm-hmm. right now, so that, that's absolutely true. Uh, we'll move on to best editing that Everything Everywhere All at Once took, and this probably shouldn't be that surprising because they are leading the Critics Association scoreboard with 17 wins on the season. However... This particular award show is not good at picking the film editing Oscar. They are Mm -hmm. five of the last 13, Michael, 
whereas the Ace Eddies, the Guild, they're 10 of the last 12, so maybe we take this with a grain of salt. I wonder if you're thinking that this is just one mic having, you know, Top Gun sour grapes in this regard, <laughs> or if you think I'm, that I'm everything everywhere it's... is looking good. I'm thinking it's critics don't know what editing is, is what I'm thinking. <laughs> they don't know what original scores are either, by the way, but we'll get there. Um, but, they, but they might not They might not get it. Yeah, they might not get yeah. it. Uh, I think that's, you know, look at us. We talk about editing as best we can. But However. We aficionados in the category? No. No, we're not. But everything everywhere all at once, with all of those crazy blast montage cuts of mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh that have been turned into GIFs, I mean, there is certainly a quantity of quality editing in everything everywhere. I wonder if it's like, yeah, of, of course there is. But also you have the guys from Marvel as the producers. So you should nail that, shouldn't you? I always wonder about that balance. Like, where do you draw the line? It's the same with the cinematography conversation we always have. Like, look at all these landscapes they shot in New Zealand. It's so beautiful. Is it hard to have beautiful shots of landscapes when you're shooting on location in New Zealand either? You know, it's that kind of <laughs> tug and pull. And this category tends to go to, like, the action or sports movie that is has the best composition, has the, has the smoothest composition in many a years. Yeah. Anyway, Dune won it last year, so go figure. But we'll move on to the uh, Daniels accepting two awards on the night. Best director was the one they got on uh, on camera from Diego Luna at the Critics' Choice. So this was a surprise to me. Was it to you? Well, not necessarily because they they're leading the the scoreboard. However, okay. you're right. I think Spielberg. You thought I maybe just figured everything was going to go Spielberg at this point. Yeah, right. Maybe he was a sweeper. The the stats at the show are solid. They're eight for the last 12, but at 21 for 27 overall going from critics choice to best director Oscar. So it's not like as strong as some other categories. At what point do we think that Todd Fields hat is holding him back from this category? Cause this is the second hat <laughs> that know. he's had. We know and it's equally absurd. Here's the thing that really makes you feel sad <laughs> with Todd Field. Yeah. Is that he's, watched indiana jones mm-hmm. <laughs> in the last not the last crusade he's watched indiana jones something like 365 times yeah. he said in his yeah. career like he, he had the number down pat <laughs> and he's wearing indiana jones's hat to all these award shows yeah the todd field hat has become this season's david fincher's shot of whiskey you know what I mean? Like, it's it's going to be there at every award show. You're just anyway, going to see it. We're in enough trouble with this whole Todd Field mess, aren't we? <laughs> Boy, uh, we like care. Todd I Field. I want more. We, Until no. I'm face-to-face with the man this, in a cage now. No, this is... This, I love Todd, like Field. Todd Field. I love Tar. Yeah. We love it. We love yeah. it. We just want them to get that award, not this one. <laughs> what, what the hell's wrong with us? We're jerks, I guess. <laughs> but, all right. Uh, the Daniels taking this award does matter, though. It does matter in terms of a lot of pundits, especially the big pundits, are saying that they may not even get a nomination heading into this. They were well, that's what I was. That's what I was surprised by because you know you're talking about something that at least has been on the fringe of the top five talking about the Daniels and Best Director because director is so loaded and they're not one of the oh they're going to be there like Todd Field I would say is at this point Spielberg definitely is at this point but the Daniels have been like you know either fifth place or sixth place fourth place or fifth place or sixth place type type deal and so they not only represent in the category but they win it over Todd Field over Steven Spielberg it's like you know this is Danielle Deadweiler at the Gotham's beating out both of Kate Blanchett and Brendan Fraser type of oh okay to me 
I, I don't disagree because I, th- with the way the pundits have handled it, I don't disagree. But I always thought that they would have more of an inside track because Everything Everywhere is such a contender uh, for Best Picture. And I do think there's some, there's going to be some voter confusion perhaps with original screenplay that we'll get to now, Michael, because yeah, where do you give the Daniels to credit? Do you give it to mm-hmm. the director or do you give it to original screenplay where someone like Martin McDonough has done very well with the critics? It's been a relatively close race there. Uh, kind of wild how Banshees was blanked on the night, isn't it? No, it, the critics couldn't find one award to give Banshees. It's not good. It's not good. As, as a lot of pundits have been talking about, the Oscar es- expert mentioned it, that he doesn't believe someone who got blanked at the critics' choice has, has gone on to win, our movie has gone on to win uh, Best Picture uh, it, without without a win at critics' choice first, any win. So that's it's not a good omen for Banshees. Yeah, they were not treated well on the night, and yet I expect them to be treated well by BAFTA? It seems so, right? Whenever there's a greater international body, right. like with the Golden Globes, exactly, like with the, exactly you know, some thinking, critics' yeah. associations, yeah, but they seem to be doing better, uh, and it makes some sense, of course. So, yeah, I would expect Martin McDonough to still be a major player here in this category, and I also think that the WGA is just not going to factor in for reasons of the calendar, like we talked about, like mm-hmm. the... the the Oscar noms are coming out before the WGA noms, so that's not going to factor in. And then the WGA is going to be announced two days before the Oscar winner voting ends, so it's only going to affect that last-minute vote where we know Banshees is not eligible for the WGA. So if you were expecting the Daniels to win at WGA, but maybe that doesn't matter at all at the end of the day. But look, I, I think it, we got a race going on here, and I do wonder if, like we've seen in the past from the Critics' Choice, like a Chloe Zhao winning screenplay at the critic's choice and director at the critic's choice ultimately that will forge into one you know that those votes will you know turn into one category's worth of credit rather than two i would tend to agree but at the same time if everything everywhere is going to be this dynamo at the academy level i mean look Maybe. It, the the wild success of everything everywhere all at once makes sense at the critic's choice because the critics and the pundits have been the ones that have yes held this thing up for months and months and months at now so that, that makes a lot of sense to me, what, what happened on the Critics' Choice stage last night. And we were expecting the Academy? it. Right, yeah. right. Will it happen at the Academy level? We'll see. Talking to Scott Yeager and Sagmania there, we're kind of expecting the third uh, best picture contender to, to emerge at the Critics' Choice Awards, just like the third lead actor to emerge at the Critics' Choice Awards. And both of those happened, which again, like the thesis statement to this episode, mm. more races that are heating up, which is fun. And Martin McDonough taking the globe in a combined category, which does tend to mean something a little extra. I wonder if uh, I wonder if he's going to be you know, that PTA slash Kenneth Branagh. Like last year, we both thought PTA was the long overdue, quote unquote, long overdue yeah. candidate when Kenneth Branagh was also that same candidate and he won right. it. He was longer overdue in, in an essence. Anyway, I wonder if Martin McDonough takes that role. And we've seen that kind of, I don't know. If, again, Sex Panther by Odeon, 50% of the time it works every time. <laughs> it's it's their time kind of argument, you know? Right, yeah. Death taxes and anchorman quotes to pull us out of jams when we can't find a landing place for our narratives here at MMO. I agree. Anyway, best picture, the last award of the night, as you've talked about, Chelsea Handler presents it after humble bragging that the show ended on time. And, yeah, you you mentioned the big pop in the room, Mike. 
It was. There was a big explosion. I think it was the loudest pop of the night when Everything Everywhere was announced as the winner. Jonathan Wong, the producer, came up, delivered an emotional speech, dedicated the award to the immigrant parents who would work themselves to the bone to give their immigrant children a better life for themselves. This was just the capper. You tweeted out that you saw this coming. I mean, once the screenplay and director went to Everything Everywhere, you would think this one was going to follow suit, and it did. And look, I think the Critics' Choice have tabbed some of the you know, best picture winners of the past seven out of last 12, 15 out of last 27. So that's 55% in the overall, but a better ratio. I probably should have done the math uh, recently. Look, everything everywhere, success on the night. I'm wondering if you think it might be dangerous. Cause I, as I said before, you don't necessarily want to be the front runner in certain categories heading into Oscar, especially when we're, we're taking into consideration best picture, which people usually like to leave open until the end because that allows for suspense and the Academy wants to be, you know, they want to have a fun show in many instances. They don't love the wall-to-wall favorite always or usually. And to, to kind of case in point, we've had the power of the dog once upon a time in Hollywood. They've taken two out of the last three of these Critics' Choice Best Picture Awards, Michael, when, you know, we've seen a lot of the big awards of the night switch, you know, switch recipients by Oscar. You only have four movies right now with odds inside 10 to 1. I mean, hell, inside 20 to 1 at this point, according to Vegas. It's everything, Banshees, the Fablemans are still there, even though they're pretty solidly in third place, and then Top Gun is just kind of lingering around 8 to 1, 10 to 1. Mm-hmm. And that, after that, you have like your Tar, which is 40 to 1, Avatar, 40 to 1, Elvis, 25 to 1, or 40 to 1. I, I don't even know that I would consider, even though they are the betting favorite right now, according to Vegas, I don't know that I would think that Everything Everywhere is such an established front runner at this point that I would worry about them falling off. I think they still have work to do. They still have work to do. There's no question about it. But they, you could see a path now. You could see a path sure. through... Through all for any three of, the, of, the for any of those, for awards. any of the top three, you could see a path. Top Gun, I think, needs a win. Oh, Top Gun definitely needs a win. Where are they going to get it? They're going to probably get it at PGAs, right? But everything, everywhere, you can make the argument that yes, it overperformed at the box office. Producers are probably happy about that. Yes, there is a true ensemble sense to this thing, even though they may win individual awards at SAG. You could see everything, everywhere, winning ensemble sure. at the end of the day. And then I, I guess the big mystery is BAFTA. I mean, they they seem to shower it with long lists, but we'll have to wait and see how everything everywhere does at like all the quintessential crossover, you know, Academy membership type of, what if Bassett just goes completely off the reservation and goes everything all quiet on the Western front. They could, they could though. That's why this season is shaping up to be so fun when you have three different winners in a best picture category to start things off. I mean, that is a lot of fun. And I guess if you count the Gotham or wait, no, everything everywhere won at Gotham. All right. So there's a repetition. So I do think you got to say everything everywhere, Kind of so that's you subconsciously saying you don't think it's going to win at, at BAFTA. I don't think Everything Everywhere is going to win at BAFTA as of now. But no, that could change, I, I would say, if Everything Everywhere gets a SAG win. There's no right. question about that. If Everything Everywhere gets 11 nominations at the Oscars next week, yeah, if it overperforms in those two areas, I would expect it. But I, I would expect it right now ultimately winning Best Picture. I, I've been saying this for a while. I think Everything Everywhere is the favorite for a while. And I yeah, don't know Vegas you, agrees. Yeah, Vegas agrees with you. You believe it too. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to Tar uh, and the two wins apiece films. And Tar won Best Actress and Original Score. More on that in a moment. But Ben Stiller came out 
in like a funny presentation. And there were a lot of a funny presentations, by the way. The presentations got more time than the acceptance <laughs> speeches. And again, I didn't hate it. I don't hate it either. Like Aubrey Praza, I failed to mention, she had a lot of funny Chucky jokes with Brian yeah. Tyree Henry. And here you have Ben Stiller kind of, he's an all-time great presenter at award shows. He did the Avatar thing years ago. And now he's like doing the, he's reading the. Uh, great point. What is that with the, the AI? AI created speech? Yeah. <laughs> After there's so much in the business that AIs are trying to write screenplays, and here you go. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I I don't know. Man, this Critics' Choice TV show just did it for me, and it usually doesn't. I mean, I usually take great joy in how laughably cringy the Critics' Choice. I'm sorry, but yeah. it, you know how it comes off usually, and it, it was a legitimately decent TV show last night. It's a bunch of sitcom dad joke writers, yeah. right? Just yeah. writing this show for year after year after year, and we are just rolling our eyes at it. And here you go, yeah, maybe, you know, Chelsea Handler brought in her own crew, and mm-hmm. you got a lot of funny jokes, funny presentations. Yeah, and yeah I mean, Todd Field uh, with the hat, he's got to stop. You just yeah. got either either stop or get to the point like where you're you're walking into the Oscars with one of those oversized hats that the NFL players wear in the post games now, those giant <laughs> ass fucking like blimp type hats. Uh-huh. Like, you got to go one way or the other here, Todd. Either no hat or really hat. It's a big hat. It's funny. It's funny, <laughs> yeah. see. Exactly. Funny. Go Turd Ferguson with it. Exactly. Turd Ferguson. Funny name. Um, Oversized ben, hat. Ben Stiller. The, uh, the reason we're talking about Todd Field is because Kate Blanchett did win Best Actress with Ben Stiller presented her. Michelle Yeoh doesn't win, but Kate uh, Blanchett has a very typical accepted speech to start she thanks todd field she talks about the people that worked in the movie yada yada and then she just pivots midway through and was like can we just stop with this horse race bullshit patriarchal awards race that she basically just spends a minute defecating on the awards industry i caught me a little off guard because even though I, I saw some of the tweets about the red carpet stuff where she was praising andrea riseborough and tangway and 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 penelope cruz for their performances on the year she said all the same stuff that she said in the speech on the red carpet apparently but you're right she turns heel on the whole award season i absolutely loved it and we could put us with, out of business and i don't care but look at we agree with a lot i mean look at we we love and we hate this this beast mm-hmm. that we worship and, and somehow are beholden to and yet like i don't know like we've made the opposite argument at many a times where we think more competition will equate to more film promotion but we've gotten cynical at the whole film promotion aspect of this thing and yeah i mean she's preaching to this choir of two mics that both agree with your i mean we're we're in awe and we're in terror at the same time well she's making the point that you know, I think the word patriarchal is the one doing a lot of the heavy lifting there. Like she doesn't, it's the same point that Taylor Swift has made a bunch of times talking about all the females in the music industry and how they're kind of pitted against each other because of the studios and the powers that be, which are usually run by men. Like she's making the point that, you know, this competition where you're pitting female against female only does damage to the females. And it's the men who are doing it and laughing their way to the bank in the process. I get it. I completely co-sign that idea and I'm I'm with you. And if Kate Blanchett makes this same speech at the Oscar stage, that's going to be hilarious and bewildering at the same time however typically when someone shows disdain for the process that that doesn't work out for them yeah, i yet. can't imagine almost, she made a lot of friends in the room <laughs> look you know? i mean we, we we notably 
talked about Joaquin Phoenix's change in tune, Brad right. Pitt's change in tune when they finally campaigned, right? And when they mm-hmm. got Ann Thompson's all over this for years about how when it's their time, when it's when they truly got the the winning path, they change their tune and they actually are very gracious throughout the process even when they've had a history of kind of having a lot of uh I don't know. I mean, uh, contempt for the process, I guess you, yeah. you'd have to say for a Joaquin Phoenix in particular. And yet Kate Blanchett has already been awarded. She's already been showered with She's won two Oscars, been showered with awards. And here she is. Do you think, she, do you think, look, I mean, you have to wonder this now. Do you think maybe she just avoided the Globes because she wanted to avoid the dang Globes? I mean, we, could, we wouldn't blame her. It's incredibly possible. I mean, I, I wonder, I don't know that any one speech at the Critics' Choice Awards of all the precursors is going to carry much weight. So I don't know that this is going to negatively impact her Oscars chances or anything. I mean, I would tend to think it wouldn't. But at the same time, like I said, I, don't, I doubt she made a lot of friends in the room by people who are putting on that show or putting on any award show. This is the apparatus that continues to cover this thing. A lot of the pundits are in the room as well as the critics. So yeah. a lot of the and and she comes out kind of, you know, taking shots at the at the industry. I didn't know how to feel myself. I was I was conflicted on this whole thing. Like, I'm always I'm always in like the John Lewis good trouble idea. As long as you're not hurting anybody right. actively, like go ahead, shake up the system, be a disruptor. Uh the disruptor word is is, is not necessarily the word I'd use after glass onion, but uh, <laughs> otherwise I'm with you. Anyway, well, disruptor in, in my sense, not in right. Elon Musk's sense. Anyway, I forgot to do the dang stat here. Mm-hmm. I only took five hours to get this right. doc together, but okay. We'll move into Tar's other befuddling win on the night, and it's for score. And that's not because Hilda Guanadatir, Guanadatir, excuse me, I, I've heard her name pronounced different ways. And I've, uh, but I, she won in this category, and I've heard pundits like the Oscar expert talk about how she's only put like sound in this this thing. Not it, she doesn't even have original music in here, like in the movie. Like there's an original. Like, it doesn't make any sense why she would win here, especially when like Justin Hurwitz is leading the category. This was one of five awards on the night that didn't go with the Critics Association scoreboard. And Hilder wins here when she, I, I mean, I assumed, I wrote down when I saw that Hilder won, I wrote down that it was for women talking. And then I was like, wait, she won for Tar? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that happened. And I, <laughs> I, I would still think Hurwitz is going to be the, the, the name to beat come Oscars time. But yeah, this is a very peculiar, I don't have much on it. Just, yeah, bizarre. Well, we'll keep having to, to study this one because that's weird. Uh, very strange win. Uh, in original score. We'll move on to RRR's two wins on the night, and the first one came via Henry Golding presenting Best Foreign Language Film, Michael. Yeah, S.S. Rajamouli co-accepted, thanked all the women in his life. He ended by thanking the motherland of India. It was a very sweet, very cool moment, and, and RRR keeps on rolling and keeps on collecting trophies at all these precursors. This RRR win was one of the main reasons why I was tweeting out that so many races have been opened up. And I was really happy that the Critics' Choice Awards seemed to open up races like this one. That like, Look, International Feature was already open, but the fact that RRR wins this from an outside lane, it's not going to be eligible at the Oscars. Number one, it gives RRR the candidacy and the, and the resume argument now that to put it in the Best Picture 10. A lot of pundits are going to be using that. But this also means that Argentina 1985 has a globe. RRR has the critics, 
both on the association scoreboard and with the Critics' Choice. And then you have festival wins or our major punditry behind Decision to Leave, Close, EO, Return to Soul, and Saint-Omer that all have uh, candidacies in that international feature sh- Oscar shortlist, along with sleepers like Joyland and The Quiet Girl, et cetera, et cetera. Michael, you can go through the whole list there and say that I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if any of those films get nominated at the end of the day uh, at, at the Oscars next week. This is going to be an impossible category to predict. How do you justify putting RRR in the Best Picture 10 if it's only going to be, I mean, it's granted it looks like it's going to win its one other category, but it looks like it's only a lot to be nominated in original song otherwise. Something was going to have to happen for RRR to get into that Best Picture 10 that was going to go against the grain of typical Best Picture nominations. It's just a group think of, well, this would be an international feature if India picked it? Yes, so, there's that reason. So, so we have seen, not at the Best Picture level, but we have seen international films that were not selected in the international feature category in that branch do well at the Oscars and crossover categories we, we saw it last year with the Penelope Cruz film, Parallel Mothers. We saw it in the past. Uh, yeah, but that's kind of the point I'm trying to make, too, is that this it's it's not going to have a performance nom, right? The closest thing it probably could have is director, and it looks like S.S. Rajamuli's on the outside looking in there. Oh, I, I agree. agree. If he gets in, yeah, you can, I mean, that's a great show of strength for his chances to show up. But I, if you only go in with RRR being nominated in original song, Mm-hmm. It's, it would be a big surprise, but yeah, right? I think in this particular year, we have seen the best picture field expand, and we just had a huge conversation with Scott Yeager about it, where I, I cited 17 films that have a, what, what a pund, Oscar pundit can make is a realistic candidacy, a realistic argument. I can make the case based on resumes for 17 separate films, RRR being one of them, and this only strengthens RRR's case and what's going to be a tight race for those final two, maybe three spots. It, it's in the conversation. I agree with that. I'll be very surprised if it does break through. But this this win here, I mean, the wins, I should say, at Critics' Choice are only going to help its campaign. Yeah, the original song, second time in a row after the Golden Globe went to... Uh, Do you think to, that category to... is over? I don't know. No, I don't. I don't. Because, number one, there's no crossover from the Globes or the uh, Critics' Choice. And I'm sure we can go back and find a lot of examples where strange uh, or, or different uh, songs have won. I mean, go, just go back to her. I mean, this category has been, 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 been a lot That's of true. fun at the Oscar level for I should for have a bet while. that song. That was 65 to 1 going into Oscar <laughs> Judas Sunday. and the Black Messiah getting a big win there. Uh, but, th- but this is certainly a situation where Natu Natu of RRR is in the lead. Absolutely, in the lead. That the, Natu Natu is the, the song to beat and where it has – the strength, I would say, is that it is perhaps the best song use in the movie. It is certainly the most fun because that's a huge dance scene. Go watch it. Go watch clips of it. Go watch the movie for that matter. RRR is a lot of fun. Top 10 movie of the year for me. I, I had a blast with it. And Not To Not To is, is used in the movie. It's not just a song over the credits like many of these are. It's not too just a song in the credits. I That was a terrible joke, and I'm not apologizing for it here or ever again. <laughs> I wonder if there's going to be, speaking of groupthink and easy narratives, when you're looking at your Oscars ballot and this you see RRR sitting there in an original song, if this is going to be the, I have to vote for it because it belongs in an international feature and it's not going to get its day there. So I, it deserves an Oscar. I feel like the Academy is going to want to vote for that song. 
they're going to well, want to I mean, say, yeah, it's, it's aided by the fact that it's and a you're, great song and great there, usage, too. There's yeah. this imperative to vote for RRR on many a front, mm-hmm. and that it needed it needs those exceptions to become the rule for it at the end of the day because we have a, a candidacy that's kind of unprecedented mm-hmm. in many cases. It, if it comes through, it's going to break it's going to break ground. I don't know what that the best committee is in India that picks their official selection, but they need to be broken up. I have not watched last film show yet, but yeah, you're probably right. Anyway, let's move on to Black Panther, which won two awards as well. We'll get into Angela Bassett in a second. But first of all, shout out to Ruthie Carter that wins for costume design. And Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, actually trailed Elvis on the season thus far. So this is kind of one of those fun upsets, even though Ruthie Carter, former Oscar winner, it's hard to call her an underdog necessarily. But I I did do this stat. 13 of the 18 Critics Awards Association leaders, Michael, on the scoreboard. Thank you to Next Best Picture. 13 of the 18 wound up winning on the night. So I've always wondered that, like how many Critics Awards scoreboard leaders actually go out and win? Well, everyone except for Ruthie Carter, Kate Blanchett, Carrie Condon, Brendan Fraser, and Hilder Guanadatir wound up winning. It's about, a, what, a 60% or so crossover there? Uh, totals, that's how you do Everything's up Sex Panther by Odeon yeah, in this right. episode. It's just this mm. what it is. That's why when you said the critics of choice, choice are the most predictive. And I wince every time Ann Thompson says the same thing. I, I don't I, think they're 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 most predict. Who said that? I, I said they're most predictive. I don't know. I think you want me to tell you that they're very predictive. No, I just think they're they're gatekeepers to Oscar nominating, which you and Ann Thompson both share as the very, most befuddling, <laughs> most befuddling <laughs> statement ever, because that would tend to imply. Well, that no, it the doesn't. <laughs> you're, you're putting words. No, but here. you could. So yeah, wait a minute. Wait but a minute. it's this. <laughs> It's Me this, and Ann are giving you a very specific message, and you're twisting it and saying, "How do you how do you parse through what is the gatekeeping and what doesn't wind up having the legs for because the Oscar? Because the, the critics anoint this as awards worthy, not necessarily that it's going to win at Critics Choice, but that it's okay to vote for it and see it as an awards type movie. All right, well." All of the critics' awards that don't follow through is what you guys are ignoring, you and Anne. Like so I what? will step to you. Like a lot of these movies that won't wind up with Oscar noms. Like a lot of them happen behind. You know, do you, do you really need me to do another five hours of document? Well, no, prep give me. To, I, I, I'm, I'm curious. Like, give me an example. Well, Women Talking. If it doesn't show up for Oscars, Women but Talking. But it's an awards-worthy movie. Yeah, it's been anointed as an awards-caliber movie. RRR could be a critics' picture, but you're see now you're 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 doing you're taking it literally. Yeah. But this is what you want me to say. <laughs> you, you, you make a blanket statement about gatekeeping, but there are many more other examples to, to rival the examples you're bringing but up. But they're not rivaling. You're being too specific. They are exactly rivaling. Mike, if, if they're the gatekeepers for some movies, but they actually you know, lift, lift up other movies that don't have the legs, as many movies that do, what the hell? But who or gives if it's Sex sh- Panther who- by Odeon. I'm talking about in a general sense that these movies are all like this is the pool that the Oscars are going to pick from. Seventy percent right? of the pool. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 70% <laughs> no. of the poll. It's not the whole poll. It's not 70% of it's the poll. It's usually 70%. And guess what? Every other friggin' award show You're is about 70%. You're doing crossovers for winners. Isn't Every that, aren't you? other award show is about the <laughs> for same winners. friggin' for winners. We've done this. No, for, for winners. nominees as well. We've done the nomination stats. I'm the one always doing these friggin' stupid <laughs> stats that take me 17 hours to do every time. And yes, it's around 60 to 70%. They all are the friggin' same. That's why when when a pundit <laughs> actually says it's, it's the most predictive, I have have a short circuit i'm like eddie murphy playing the donkey and shrek my eyes twitch a little bit <laughs> the most predictive just, or uh, the gatekeeper you make that blank round statement. and round this I, conversation will go this I, again it's sex panther by odion it's hilarious <laughs> angela bassett won again yeah she did and this is a very important win as i tweeted uh we've had 13 of the last 14 choice winners winning oscar michael so you're absolutely right this is the most predictive gatekeeping award show ever and i agree with you wholeheartedly i hate you <laughs> maria, uh, maria bakalova is the only one to miss and even she, though she got boosted but from that's the not what i'm saying <laughs> I, you're right. I'm trying to prove you right here, even though I just proved you wrong. I prove you, Maria Bakalova is the only it one into to miss. the fucking sun. <laughs> I'm going to live, laugh, launch myself into a river. <laughs> um, hey, you're the lawyer. I'm not supposed to uh, exhaust you at my arguments. It's supposed be, to be the other way around. You're not listening. <laughs> I am listening. I am listening to a supporting actress category where Angela Bassett has like a firm lead right now to bring us back. She gives thanks during her uh, her acceptance speech to black actresses that came before her, giants like Ruby Dean, Cecily Tyson. Thanks them for portraying black women in a way in which they weren't typically shown. I didn't realize Angela Bassett isn't an Oscar winner. I thought she had one on her resume already. Uh, she does not. She has a single nomination. So my thinking was, well... She's still in trouble because you could see the narrative forming behind Jamie Lee Curtis, especially with that special shout out at the end of the night that Everything Everywhere's producers gave Jamie Lee Curtis, who wasn't at Critics' Choice because she was down with COVID. But they made a point to highlight her and talk about her for a little bit there before giving finally the final bow of the evening to Michelle Yeoh, rightfully so. But I, I was under the impression that, OK, it, there could be this resistance to give Angela Bassett her second Oscar before Jamie Lee Curtis, who may not get nominated. Who knows when she'll ever get nominated again? Her first, but Angela Bassett doesn't have an Oscar. So, yeah, I, I mean, this seems like it's Angela Bassett's to lose, certainly now. On top of, never mind the fact that she has this and a Golden Globe win on her resume now. I am going to ignore the fact that you rhymed several times there uh, without meaning to do so, I believe. Uh, but I'm going to agree with you in this sense. My memories of the Golden Globes and Oscars from when I was a kid watching do mesh together and sometimes i confuse golden globe winners for oscar winners which yeah. you must have done in this case when angela bassett and your i mean you well 94 is also i mean we're talking about a seven-year-old mike one at that point well, we've also talked about the 94 award season is right. something we both That's were true. following back in the That's day true. that we were yeah we were watching we were paying attention to when we kind of came online the picture, with these least, award yeah. seasons and that was yep. one of those years so absolutely right. uh but yeah look overall if you go back into the annals of the sporting actress category, Critics' Choice is not all that predictive. 19 of 27, they were in a rut for the first 13 years where they went 6 for 13, even though they've gone 
you know, 13 of 14 since then. So overall, again, we come to a crossover statistic of 70%, which, again, Mike, I don't disagree with you. It's the bane of my existence. I hate that all these award shows, and we've done this crossover stat before with all the nominations in a 10-year span, they're all around 60 to 70%. God help us. We're going to fist fight before the end of this episode, I think. We're in two separate locations, data. and we're just going to throw haymakers into microphones and hope they reach the other person's chin. I'm giving you raw data. <laughs> it's probably why it's better that we don't record together anymore. We're just over, <laughs> over the internet. Glass Onion also won two awards on the night. It won Best Ensemble, and it won Best Comedy, and it won over some big-name movies. It won Comedy over Banshees, Everything Everywhere, and Triangle of Sadness. And Glass Onion won Ensemble over four of the SAG Ensemble nominees, Michael. Everything Everywhere, Banshees, Fablements, and Women Talking. Babylon was not nominated at the Critics' Choice, even though it'll be in the mix at SAG Ensemble. So this is, this is a, it might be a, a deceivingly big pair of wins for Glass Onion. It could be. I also was surprised this wasn't one they presented live. You would think. You would think that the Ensemble would have the star power to be yeah. worthy of... Yeah, Especially just, if you have Kate Hudson presenting Janelle Monet with a special award there. You know what I mean? Like, just big, big bizarre. stars, big stars yeah. in all these casts. So that's it, a weird choice by them. But uh, I did mention Babylon a second ago. We'll kind of move into like the winners of one award on the night. And Babylon took home one award in production design, which is which is sensible considering the scoreboard, I guess. So this is over. <laughs> the one thing I know for sure about the Critics' Choice Awards is they, whatever they deem the winner in production design, wins the Oscar for production design. Yeah, I should have done this stat, but I, I believe it's, it's been more it's than... every year but one. I think it's every year but one. I think yeah. the, the award started in like '07 at the right. Critics' Choice. Right. So they're they're very, for whatever reason, they're in tune. <laughs> they know what a good production design is. They get their sets. They get their sets exactly right in in, in terms of uh, putting them forth to Oscar. So you're right. They are the gatekeeper. Of production design Oscars, um, we have. Seen, El- what do you do at track and field? Right, what's the hammer throw? Is that the one where they spin around a lot and throw the thing? That's what I'm gonna do with this microphone. You keep this. Thank up. God, I do not have to teach. I'm gonna spin and spin and spin throw. and fire it into the nearest wall. Can you imagine coaching up that event? Like, can you imagine the amount of times that a kid, a goofy ass teenager, would just throw that into your face as a coach? <laughs> I, I mean, you'd have to practice with, like, Nerf. You couldn't practice with an actual hammer, which is just like a ball and chain. It's also it's like not, yeah, it's not a hammer. Well, how did they get the name hammer? I don't know. It is insane. They they actually, they outlaw you from doing it at the high school level, thank God, because somebody, like, died. So like, how do people ago. get scholarships for it? Because they throw it at all these, like, invitational meets what and whatnot. So you can throw, and it's a, it's an event at the college and the Olympic level, obviously. I know so. college, but like, how do you know your who? I, I get well, you just said Look, the invitational. So yeah, the disc disc usually good discus thrower, I guess, is a good hammer thrower. But I I don't they know. They should I start don't throwing wanna. actual hammers. Maybe if they did that, yeah. Um, track and field. Give me seventy two hours ended. to run the world, and I'll have this all figured out. <laughs> track and field, the oldest sport in the history of the world. Would end with your idea <laughs> of throwing actual, throwing actual hammers. <laughs> All right, let's get into the the negativity portion of the podcast, which you know we, we kind of vacillate towards. But Elvis, Avatar, Top Gun, The Fablemans, and Banshees did not have good days 
at the Choice Awards. And we'll start with Elvis, which actually took makeup and hair, perhaps surprisingly over the whale for many pundits. But Elvis did have a couple wins on the season in an in a under, under-awarded category this early in awards season because not many people even have the category up. Uh, Do you think it was Tom Hanks' makeup that, that pushed it over the top for the critics there? Yeah, I think that in combination with all the you know, the Elvis costume, all the Elvis hairstyles, you know, the Elvis hairstyles and all the hairstyles of the day. So Elvis made a strong showing at the Guild Noms as well. The Muaz that we'll go over in the next episode when we predict these Oscar categories, God help us. So this makes some sense, but I, I thought the whales, you know, the, the fact that the whales in this show doing well with, with Brendan Fraser and just had that PGA bump. I thought the whale would take this one, so I was wrong. This is totally subjective and conjecture. Speaking of Elvis and the whale, when Brendan Fraser is giving his speech, they flashed to Austin Butler, and that was a young man who did not look amused to not win. Yeah, he's competitive, maybe. He, unlike yeah. Kate Blanchett, he is competitive yeah. still. He's still got the competitive juice. No, I'm, uh, Kate Blanchett. Just, you, you don't get to where she is without being that competitive. But uh, It's also easy to talk about how stupid awards are when you're on your verge of your third Oscar, which only like eight other people in history have done. <laughs> right, right. And who knows? Maybe she's sick of it and she just yeah. doesn't want to do it anymore. Maybe she was happy to just be sitting down and didn't expect to give that speech. Oh, we all know how Tom Brady hates winning Super Bowls. <laughs> <laughs> Guess so. Uh, Avatar takes VFX. Top Gun takes cinematography. Fableman's taste be- be- takes best young actor. We kind of expected all these. Gabriel Bell's won six awards thus far this season. Avatar and Top Gun are leading in those respective categories of VFX and cinematography. I was, pro- I would probably have guessed, not recognizing my critics' choice stats, that Top Gun was still going to take editing, but it didn't. Avatar still had a better chance in production di- design, but I guess it didn't. And the Fableman's, w- what's your What's your worry level on the Fablemans and then Banshees that got shut out? Are you do you think this was destiny that this was inevitable, or do you, are you really seriously worrying, especially after like Steven Spielberg misses Bath the Longlist director for the Fablemans there? Both, both, and neither. I, I like it's such a cop out answer. I I am I don't I was surprised Spielberg didn't win director. Right. Um. I'm surprised critics didn't fall in line to make sure the Fablemans won something major on the night because it's a Spielberg movie and all that. But him winning the Globe kind of eased my concerns about him missing the BAFTA long list. But it's not like he's going to find many other places to pick up momentum. He's got to win DGA at this point, doesn't he? Critics' choice... You had to have your ballots in by the January 13th. Yeah, which was only two days before the award show. And only a couple days after the Globes, right? So when were the Globes? Anyway. The 8th or the 9th? Okay, so it's plenty of time after the Globes, I guess. Even though we've been seemingly watching Twitter and all these critics have been putting in their ballots for a while. But, yeah, Banshee's going 0 for 9. That's especially after leading in several critics association scoreboard categories like Kerry Condon and Colin Farrell. That's surprising. And then, yeah, I mean, the Fableman's doing nothing except for Gabriel LaBelle is, is indeed surprising. Top Gun still won one. Avatar still won one. Elvis won a category it wasn't even supposed to win necessarily. So 
Yeah, I, I think it matters at the end of the day. I think I think the Fablemans is stocked down somehow after doing so well at the Globes because maybe the Globes just you know put it forward and it got vetoed here. Maybe maybe the Critics' Choice are just like. No, everything everywhere. <laughs> what, are, what are you well, doing? Well, that's what it's certainly what it seems like. And the fact that everything everywhere swept is kind of, you know, that was the movie for the critics. So it's yeah. not like they were split between that and Banshees, which I maybe would give me more of a concern for the Fablemans. But this was, you know, it was the everything everywhere show. I expect uh, BAFTA to be more of the Banshees show, you know, so it could be that these are just playing well on their home turfs at this point, too. So fa- so you'll probably agree with that argument on the Fablemans uh, level, but not necessarily on Banshees yet. Because yeah, what's Banshees... the Fableman's path? I mean, I know I said it has a path, but what's the Fableman's path? The best picture right now. Well, it's still, it's still very much alive. I would say in SAG Ensemble and PGA. I I don't PGA, know. Yeah, could do it. I don't know what BAFTA is going to think of it. Like you said, because Spielberg was snubbed there at the long list level. I would expect it not to have a good day at BAFTA. Yeah. PGA. Which... Uh, probably, this PGA is, is probably a big hope. This is looking like an everything everywhere all at once best picture yeah, win. It really it is. Really, based on the punditry, based on yeah. the, how we've read the seasons thus far. And yet uh, or, Michelle Yeoh may not win actress. But does wouldn't you put her stock up at the end of this award show? Because the night, the way the night ended was Mr. Wong raising his hands, you know, with the J- Jamie Lee Curtis gesture saying, Michelle Yeoh. And that was the that's how the night ended and i almost felt like that was him just stumping for michelle yo and lead actress and we just talked about Kate blanchett kind of perhaps lessening her chances with her kind of uh, speech that she gave so if sag goes everything everywhere are you saying it's over i'm saying that everything everywhere is the favorite for me right now and if yeah if sag picks it regardless of what BAFTA's going to do i'm probably I'm probably picking everything everywhere. Absolutely. What if SAG goes something else for ensemble, but goes Michelle Yeoh for actress? Do you still feel the same about Best Picture going that way? Probably, but it depends who they pick. If they pick a women talking, then that's much I less. I cannot see that happening. I would like like women Scott talking Yeager was talking such about a this. bad week. But they, but they come back a little bit. We're going to talk about them in a few minutes. Winning original screenplay or excuse me, adapted screenplay. I don't know. I don't know. And, and if Scott's right about the kind of reverse odds for the ensemble category in many a sense, where Babylon and women talking in his mind would have more of a chance to win because you're going to award, and in the, in the individual categories, you're going to award those other three films, Banshees, Everything Everywhere, and the Fablemans in those categories instead, which is why I'm still not ruling out the Fablemans because they kind of have like the perfect blend of being a best picture candidate that is also not going to be awarded in the awarded in the individual categories at SAG, right? I mean, nobody from the Fablemans is in, in any kind of pole position there. So my guess right now is if we're following Scott Yeager rubric, the Fablemans win SAG Ensemble. But I don't want it to happen, and I also think everything everywhere is building momentum. So may, I'm probably picking everything everywhere at SAG and at how Oscar's does Top right Gun now. find momentum? It has to win PGA. Top Gun, yeah, I, I've been saying it. It's one of the things I've said almost since Top Gun came out. It, it's only chance and best picture is win PGA. That's probably the only group that's going to say. <laughs> but there's a lot of songs about being being rich 
And, what? Uh, it's a lot of songs, but I, I wanted to sing "Money, Money, Money, Money," and then I just I backed off last second because I got self conscious. No reason. idea what you talk about. We've been having an intelligent discussion, and I was going to interrupt it by going "Money, Money, Money, Money." Producers are behind are the money guys. No, right, right, and they tend to smile fondly on on one point whatever yeah. it is nine billion dollars right now maybe they'll go for avatar so avatar is gonna win is yeah, what you're avatar's saying gonna win. avatar is gonna win uh pga then we'll go to jude hill speaking of depressing stuff uh pinocchio is going to win animated feature it's looking that way uh you gotta see marcel the shell maybe make a comeback they've won 13 awards on the critical uh, critical level, but I would have I thought know. who doesn't want to hear more from Guillermo del Toro, right? I would have thought Marcel would have had to take the critics' choice, yeah. right? In an upset, yeah. this seems this it seems uh, accounted for. The only real note I have about this happening at the critics' choice is that how good Jude Hill was. I mean, he was this like seven, eight year old kid just spouting off these jokes and playing to the crowd. He did a great job, I thought, but this was another case of the presentation taking longer than the acceptance speech or the nominations or anything. I didn't hate it. He was he was fun. Uh, here's the question I'll, I'll leave you with on Pinocchio. Do you think the fact that Pinocchio is getting galvanized support and animated feature thus far with the critics' associations, with the Golden Globes, and now with the Critics' Choice Awards – do you think Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, and we know it's up for other Oscars and shortlists, etc. Do you think it's back in the Best Picture ten conversation? Even though I was saying that could be the, from the outside lane, it could be the eighteenth film with a legitimate chance now. Because again, we've seen that only happen when the category is seemingly sewn up with Parasite, with Amour, with a, you know, with Toy Story three, etc. If you, if you get an international again, or an animated... Ta- I mean, maybe it gets in on production design, but I, I say again, you're talking about a film that would have maybe one other nomination. Score, production design. This plot still has a chance in score, yeah, I would say. True. I mean, it's it's possible, sure. I think it's more likely we see Pinocchio than RRR show up in Best Picture. Interesting. We're going to have quite the discussion next episode, because I don't know which way I'm even... Because Pinocchio, you in. can at least rationalize and say, okay, it won, it's it's the best of these movies. Oh, you don't have that opportunity to say that about RRR on what will be your Oscar ballot. Based based on the fact that it's an eligible. Ex- right, exactly. Not on the... Yeah, not on the merit of the film, but just because... And that yeah. the critics' choice are the gatekeepers to all things Oscars. Go on. I'm glad the, you agree. The path to... <laughs> the path to best picture... <laughs> It, for an international feature, needs international feature as a category. I would think. I yeah. I yeah. would think, yeah. All right. Um, let's move to adapted screenplay, where, as I said before, Women Talking takes it and regains some momentum of late, Michael. Chelsea Handler made a great joke at the start of the show about Sarah Polly and the uh, the injustice of how women directors are treated by studios versus male directors. And uh, yeah. James Cameron got $350 million to shoot avatar with, but Sarah Polly had to shoot women talking in a barn. That was a good laugh. <laughs> I, I was surprised again by this win, but yet again, it was another victory that was not televised. It was kind of shown on the side mm-hmm. and just also this happened. I wonder how much that will affect if at all the Oscars category of adapted screenplay. And you wonder if women talking is kind of being relegated in a sense where, okay, that's your category. I mean, we've seen this happen a thousand times right. in an award speech. You know, your, I think, the nomination is the win for you. 
Yeah, again, I think women talking, taking this one does help its best picture chances. Sure. And more so to that argument, the SAG Ensemble nomination should help women talking's best picture chances. And if there is a late breaker this year, really the only movie that's positioned to be such is Women Talking, which hasn't expanded wide yet. It's like one of the final holdouts for, for a platform releases this year, at least in the in the Oscars award season sense. So, yeah, I do think this is a big win for Women Talking in that regard. Uh, it's one of 12 wins on the year in this category, though, so I'm a little hesitant to say that adapted screenplay is going to propel it that much. Now, Women Talking is going to go up against Glass Onion, at uh, the Oscars, which has six wins on the season, potentially, and then a couple of international films, All Quiet on the Western Front and Living, and then who knows who's getting that fifth nominee. The Whale has gotten a lot of praise or not. Some people have said Top Gun Maverick, that's going to be a Coattails nomination, or Black Panther may refactor in here. God help us, Michael. We're going to have to look back at those USC scripter stats, because the <laughs> USC scripter is coming out in a couple of days, and that's probably going to influence at least my nominated uh five prediction uh and adapted it usually has a lot to say too i mean just historically it's the gatekeeper of the screenplay category i'm just gonna keep doing this (laughs) you've made your bed michael angela bassett came out and presented brendan frazier with uh lead actor for the whale so i i think you and i both expected this from the critics i still think frazier I I haven't checked the odds. I could do that live while we're recording right now. I still think Frazier is the leader for the uh, the actor category, just based on, and he is actually the Vegas, uh, according to Vegas odds. He's number one uh-huh. right now. Colin Farrell two, Austin Butler three. I, I think Frazier should be the leader for the odds, based on how the PGA treated the whale, which is a very un PGA type move. I don't disagree. I thought the the narrative on why the Globes would avoid Brendan Frazier make a lot of category. sense made sense. We we were all over Him that. avoiding the Globes makes a ton of sense. It, it yep. all made sense, and you know, I, I guess this was the long overdue ovation since Venice. Big that, pop, a lot of tears by him. This oh was the God. moment where the the playoff music only added to his speech. Because he's out there. I was in the wilderness talking about Darren Aronofsky's here. I was in the wilderness and I probably should have left the trail of breadcrumbs. But you found me. And like all the best directors, you merely showed me where to go to get me to where I needed to be. And then you have this hopeful, inspirational music coming on the back of this. I mean, there was, you know, tears everywhere, standing ovation for him. I think there might have been two on his way to and off the stage. Uh, You know, talks to the audience. If you're in a dark place, if you just find the strength to get to your feet and go towards the light, good things will happen. I mean, this was probably the moment of the night. I loved it. It was it was really emotional. I was right there with him every step of the way in terms of, you know, believing that that the you know the, the emotions overtook him in, in delivering yeah. that speech, and he still managed to be really funny throughout it. And and God bless him for that. I mean, he had you know he had a bunch of jokes in there too. Where was where was this for furry? What was it? The furry vengeance. Yeah, furry vengeance or whatever it was. He gives. He starts with a Herman Melville quote, and then he's like, I don't, I don't know what it means either. I don't know what it means either. So that was great. And yet, you know, he comes back to the to the big emotional finish. And I think, you know, he needed this this win in, ma- in many respects because of the rest of the category being so damn charming, like you said, when talking about it before. I mean, Butler and Farrell. The and, top and three he, are, are but, unbelievably charming. Even the next quote-unquote three right yeah. tom cruise is a movie star for for a reason paul mescal has charmed the pants literally off a of film twitter and bill nye <laughs> probably has 
you know, as much support on film Twitter as anybody. And and he's getting that legacy nomination most likely. He's behind film Twitter picking up the pants that they're dropping behind with Paul Mescal because he's so just a nice guy. But look, I I think this is definitely a three-actor race still. Sorry, Kate Blanchett. A three-horse race in many respects uh, because we do have Styles making fights you know, coming to fruition here where you have three separate types of performances being up for the award. And I do think we've seen a lot of issues with how people have received the whale on a critical level level and elsewhere. I think we've seen, we've seen some uh, issues for the Colin Farrell performance, not being showy enough. And we've seen a lot of love for Austin Butler, but we've also seen a lot of people despise that movie. There's love and hate for each one of these films, Michael, Never mind the performances. Frazier right now, minus 150-ish. Colin Farrell, plus 200-ish. Austin Butler, plus 225-ish. Oh, right there. It's, right I there. mean, it's so close between the three of them. Anyway, seven out of the last choice winners have gone on to win Oscar. Uh, seven out of ten, that is, if I said that correctly. And 18 out of 27, which is 66%. <laughs> the gatekeepers of the Oscars. <laughs> Do we want to finish with some TV highlights? Yeah, let's run. I mean, look, we thank God some voting body finally gave Bob Odenkirk an award. <laughs> yes, Better Call Saul wins three on the night for drama series for Bob Odenkirk and lead actor in a drama series and Giancarlo Esposito, as you referenced. Who gave before. Odenkirk a giant hug when yes. Odenkirk's name was finally announced. Yeah. Uh, Zendaya won. Jennifer Coolidge won again. There were the two drama acting choice award categories. Jennifer Coolidge, again, had maybe one of the moments of the night where I talked about earlier her speech there. She's just outstanding. Paul Walter Hauser won again mm-hmm. and was so, like, crazed as to what was going on. He had too many things in his hand that he forced the presenter to hold his trophy. And then he was like, I don't know what's going on. And he held up. He's like, Jamie Lee Curtis, I don't know where you are, but I brought a smash burger. I brought a smash burger for you. He's holding a burger from Smash Burger in the tinfoil, accepting the Critics' Choice Award. Paul Walter Hauser had a hell of a week, by the way. He wins the Golden Globe. Yes. The next night, he's on AEW with the Golden Globe Award, and he's on both Dynamite and Rampage, and then he ends the week by winning the Critics' Choice Award. Good for him. Well-deserved, yeah. uh, no doubt about it. Uh, Abbott Elementary won two comedy section awards for the comedy series and Cheryl Cheryl Lee Ralph Jesus Christ referenced uh, Henry Winkler one for Barry there otherwise Gene Smart of Hacks and Jeremy Allen White took the other two comedy lead performance categories and it's notable that comedy movie weird the Al Yankovic story took not one uh, with the TV movie uh, award but two critics choice awards on the night because best actor in a combined category for limited series anthology series or tv movie went to dan daniel radcliffe michael harry and potter himself yeah weird who, al wasn't, who wasn't there but weird al was <laughs> which i thought was interesting uh they flashed to weird al there celebrating daniel radcliffe's victory the dropout also was the big winner in limited series it took Best Limited Series and Best Lead Actress for Amanda Seyfried. Liz Merriweather, who's the executive producer and showrunner of The Dropout, one of the best acceptance speeches of the night. Yeah. Thanks to critics, the other noms, <laughs> and Mike White for not being nominated in this category. <laughs> Thanks, Amanda Seyfried, for her performance in The Dropout and in Mean Girls, which was 20 years ago. She's the one that thanks her ridiculously hot parents who are looking for a third, and if you're interested, talk to her at the after party. Just zinger after zinger there. That is what you need to write. If you are, yeah, if you are delivering an awards accepted speech, 
don't have a sweaty list of names. Have <laughs> a Merryweather speech there. Yes. So that again, you know, I think people are in the groove right now of award well, season. Mike, I mean, this is the part of the reason that the Critics Choice Awards was so well received by us is because yes, it was a good TV show and fun to watch. The other part, we were spoiled with speech. Cheryl Lee Ralph, Niecy Nash, uh, uh, Janelle Monae, Paul Walter Hauser, like every speech from an entertainer was, was awesome. great. It was awesome, and I I, I rewatched this thing easily. Maybe that maybe subconsciously I was rewatching it so many times and making you wait so long this morning because I just enjoyed the show that much. <laughs> yeah, we're ending this at the crack of eleven thirty at night on the East Coast, by the way. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, again, I, I'm glad this episode played out somewhat uh, co- coherently. Somehow, well, I guess we'll be the judge later. I'm but, happy uh, that you're happy. I. Uh, I'm I'm glad that uh, I didn't drive you up a t- up a wall for the entire day. Well, that'll uh, be the next episode though, because I have no idea what I'm going to do. What are we gonna do? What uh, are we gonna do? Yeah. It's gonna be crazy this year predicting these nominations. I am uh, not prepared <laughs> for somebody who does this seven days a week, records multiple times a week, edits. I am not prepared for. Who is I, I, prepared though? I mean, this is gonna be a crazy year of tight races i mean this could go any which way that's gonna be the fun of it seriously i feel like i'm going to get 60 percent of my nominations correct making me as well a gatekeeper to the oscars okay and i told david long my main goal this year with predictions is just to win him money so i hope i can do that if nothing else all right you're you're aiming low which is good <laughs> aim low that's fine i support it guys as always, what matters most to us are your thoughts. We want to hear your opinions on the Critics' Choice and obviously what you think those wins and losses will play in the road and the run-up here towards not only Oscar Sunday, but Oscars Nominations Day, which is about a week away. We have a couple special things lined up for you for that already, not least of which, like we just said, will be our next episode where we predict every Oscar nomination and nominee. I don't know why we do this. I'm very wrong every year. You're 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 good, Mike. I'm not. I uh, I appreciate the compliment at the, <laughs> but no, I don't know how I am like going way back. I I was good last year, and mm-hmm. that's what I'm worried about because I maybe I was just one and done. Maybe I was a one year wonder, one hit wonder. What happens every year really played out to fruition in like the most recent examples they could have. Like you went twenty for twenty in the non short categories at the Oscars last year, predicting those. Uh-huh. And I bet heavily on the Jaguars every time Los Angeles scored a touchdown (laughs) against them. And that turned out in my favor. So you go with like the consistency and I go with what's going to make me the most profit. (laughs) I can't believe you just kept watching that game for Christ's sake. Well, uh, well, I was well invested by the time for you. No, I'm I'm afraid that I'm a fraud. And that's probably why I spent four extra hours Google documenting this today. (laughs) See, that's where you and I differ because I know I am. That's the words of wisdom. Uh, it's just aim. What well, was aim low, mm-hmm. and then in, just know you're a fraud, so that you have to overcompensate with, with effort and just, I don't know, delay, uh, delay, <laughs> delaying your co. Mike, guy. Mike, and Oscar. Guys, <laughs> uh, yeah, go, go ahead, Mike. Give us well, a- I mean, what's coming next is Oscar nomination predictions, Oscar nomination reactions, and then reactions to the fallout of the oscar nominations which we hope to do with a guest so that's that's all right i've done my job this episode there you go. thank yeah. god i don't think i gave our socials we're mike mike and oscar oh. on facebook and instagram at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit if you're listening to us on either apple Podcasts or spotify look this 
prep was about as bad as it gets. And we've put forth something coherent for you. So if you appreciated that, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, we'd, we really appreciate uh, sincerely everyone who has done so thus far and people who will do so in the future for us. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come talk about the Critics' Choice Awards and the Oscars roads with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See you.